All right, Exodus chapter 15. Uh, I don't want to sit up here and monologue too, off, too long and uh, we get it off the rails, but I would like to spend some time this morning. I'm glad you come out. A uh, good-looking group of folks, and I'm hoping, and I've been praying that you had a good week, and I know sometimes your weeks get uh, uh, very heavy, and you have troubles and trials that come up in the week, and problems that you got to deal with, and I understand that when you come to church on Sunday morning, uh, a lot of times you just need something to get you through till Wednesday, or through the next week, and uh, uh, I, I hope that you can walk away and say, wow, there was a little something in there that's going to help encourage me or help me get to the next week and, and and i understand if we'd be totally honest there'd be weeks that you probably went home and said man there was really nothing in that that was kind of a uh, um got cut a little too short today you know the barber uh he he, he cut me when he was shearing me you know and uh so but uh, hopefully uh, as a whole you could say wow it was good to be in the house of the lord Exodus 15, I've been enjoying this journey, uh, preaching my way through Exodus. Now, I would like to read verse 31 of chapter 14 because it goes with the, this message. And I would like to spend a little time today on something to sing about. And I believe it to be important, especially in the age that we're in. And, and, and there, there's uh, uh, this, this differences of opinion on what godly music is about. And I'm not going to fully exhaust that. I'm going to hit a little something and try to teach you a little something right here in the text. But then I'm going to preach a little something also. And we will come back to the topic of music. But I will give you a heads up that the reason that there's such a wide gap between people's different opinions on what is godly music is because of people's perception and their perception is not right it's not biblical and so we'll talk about that maybe lord willing if god keeps the message on my heart that i would like to preach i'd like to preach uh, uh in the weeks coming up if the lord will allow me we'll get out of exodus we'll get a break from exodus we might head to john and preach a message out of john on that subject on why is there so so much difference in people's opinion and christianity and we'll let the word of god answer that and maybe get some help on that but this morning verse 31 chapter 14 and then we'll read into chapter 15 about four to five verses and he says in israel saw that great work which the lord did upon the egyptians and the people feared the lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then sang Moses. Now this is the first time that the word sang, that the word sing, and the word song show up in your Bible in the 1611. And because of the rule of first mention, he's going to lay down a principle which I believe helps us set our doctrine and our beliefs to be biblically accurate on worship in the house of God, or what we would call praise or singing. And he says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea, 
The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Now, Lord, let me get out of the way. It's not about me. And, uh, Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak through me, but let you have all the preeminence this morning. Let the power come from the preaching of the Word and the Holy Spirit of God. Let our hearts be edified. And, Lord, let it be so strong that if there are people that are lost, help them see that they need a Savior, that they want what we have. If there are those that are backslid, Lord, let them be convicted and get right today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, as we preached last week on the battle is the Lord's, and if we expect the Lord to fight our battles, and He will, but it will be a place of His choosing and it will be in a time of his choosing. And one of the things that we really pulled out of last week's message was learning to obey God in the moment. Learning to obey God in the moment. We even illustrated that uh, with a good illustration. And, and, and learning how to obey God in the moment on where we're to be camped, where to be dwelling, where, do we, where we're to be sitting. Number two, that we're to stay where God puts us. Stay, stand still. Sometimes we just, we get to moving around too much like little kids when they get hurt. And you're trying to help them and they're, they're all fidgety and you say, look, just stand still a minute. That's what God says to us. And then he tells us to step forward. Where he says, move forward. Take that next step of faith. And so then we see that God parted the Red Sea. It's a miracle. What a great miracle, the parting of the Red Sea. Now, if you'll read some of the theologians, they say, well, this really wasn't really the deep, deep sea, but it, it, was, it was those marshlands over there. It really wasn't a big deal. I got news for you. Anytime you get to reading after somebody that's trying to make light of a miracle that God has done, you need to put that book down and get back into the Word of God. He said he parted the Red Sea. I got enough faith to know that it wasn't just something you could walk through he said over here in chapter 15 he said he congealed the waters and he says they were a wall I couldn't help but think of jello <laughs> he actually uses the word congealed there in verse 8 he says in the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea jello man jello but he says he made them a wall. Now that tells me a wall, he's in the context of a city wall. He's in the context of, of some depth there. What a miracle. What a miracle. And then the Egyptian says, if they can do it, we can do it. And they took off after them. And God said, you know, he got to looking through that holy cloud. He talks about that holy cloud there in verse 24. And he says he began to look at them, the Egyptians, and he began to trouble them. He, he began to pull their wheels off. 
when the wheels fell off. And sometimes uh, uh, in life, the wheels fall off of it. And the first thing you need to think about is, maybe I'm transgressing something that Lord doesn't want me to do because the Bible says the way of the transgressors is hard. I couldn't help but think about that. With the Egyptians, they had all the money. They had all the armament. They had all the technology of the day. But yet, God drowned them in the Red Sea. And then Israel says, they saw the great work that the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And it brought fear, a godly fear, on the people. And they believed it increased their faith. And then chapter 15 starts out, Then sang Moses. Now let me teach just a little something here uh, by way of introduction, and then we'll get into the message. We see Moses as the song leader. This is a congregation 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that Israel is the church in the wilderness. It has application to us because God has made application to us. And he said the things that happen to them are an example to us. We need to pattern after the things that God told them to do, not the bad things. And he tells you, don't murmur. As some of them murmured. We'll talk about that. I think that shows up here at the end of this chapter. And we'll get to that because we'll have to preach on murmuring. How does God feel about it? Well, he don't like it. But so we see a song leader. And then we see the children of Israel. This song that talks about congregational involvement. But then there's this little word, unto. You see that word? That's an important word in your Bible. Now, in a lot of your modern versions, if not all of them, and I'll say perversions because that's what they are, they won't use the word unto. You say, well, it means the same thing. Well, then you've been reading after Noah Webster, and if my memory serves me correct, he might have did a good work there on a dictionary, and I use the 1828 because that's the one that goes with your Bible, but if my memory serves me correctly, he was not a Bible believer like we define it. you got to know that about these guys. And so when you look up that definition in the 1828 dictionary, he says, well, unto means the same thing as to. No, it don't. Now, I have told some of the folks that one of my visions and uh, uh, that I, I believe that God has, and I don't mean vision as in a dream, I mean vision as in what direction the Lord wants us to go in the years to come. And my heart has always been about teaching young preachers and young families and teaching them uh, advanced Bible theology. And one of the things I want to teach is the beauty of the 1611 the King James Bible and why it's laid out the way it is and why our words are spelt the way they are. Now, let's get back to this word unto. The letter U often denotes position. Just the letter U. It also denotes emptiness. That's why cup is spelled with a C-U-P. 
And unto also means cleave together. You say, how do you know that? Well, because one of the first usage, and I think the second usage of this word is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, where God brings Eve unto Adam. Well, why didn't he just bring the word to? Uh-uh. Because he says, so then shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto wife you say what are you trying to say i'm trying to say that the word unto gives us the mental picture of humility humbleness emptiness there is nothing good in us and everything good in him and that we're below and he is up above which lines up with the bible that we're to set our affection on things above and that word unto is really important because it denotes the attitude and which we are to sing to our God praises as we are empty vessels, but we're under God. God is the audience, and we're to be cleaved to Him in one. Hence the body of Christ, salvation. We're one flesh. We're part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of that body, and He's to have the preeminence. Now, there's a little something that happened to our music in around the 1920s, coming into 30. And I really didn't mean to preach all this on music, but while I'm here, I'll, I'll begin to illustrate it, which will be an introduction to a later message on it. About the 1920s, before the, the, the mid to late 1920s, music was something that you involved yourself in. But when the radio become important and become to be a, a really driving craze they begin to understand that music can control people and they begin to use music for advertisement so it went from something that you took part in and were involved in to be commercialized and become you become a consumer there was always a little jingle that they put to all the little advertisements and on the radio, because it wasn't visual, they used music. Now, what happened is that set a dangerous trend. It began to take the emphasis of music that God has given us and begin to commercialize it until what you see the mess that we have today where music is more about entertainment in churches and less about bringing preeminence to God. God is the audience. So youth choir, when you're singing, they're not the audience. God's the audience. God's watching. God wants to be pleased. And we need to sing to the best of our ability as loud as we can because God is our creator and he has done many great works. All in the little word, unto. It's an important word. Speaks of humility. It speaks of under and over. And it speaks of cleaving together unto. And that's why it's used there. It teaches us so much in its first mention on song leader. Not a big long-haired praise team. A song leader, not, not, not a worship director, a song leader. We're living in a day where people don't like leaders. Well, God has appointed leadership. It's called structure. A leader 
And then the congregation is to be involved and to engage and to lift up their voice in praise to their God. It's the first mention. It's very important in the Bible. We should all be on the same page when it comes to music and God. God has a personality. God has preference. And it's important that we learn something about God's personality. If you're around me any time at all, you might learn that I like bluegrass music. I like bluegrass. I just like the sound that acoustic instruments make when they're played together. When you get a mandolin, a guitar, a fiddle, and an acoustic bass. I love that sound that comes together in that. That is a preference that I have. But it would be more important to know what preference does God have? What personality does God have? What would make God happy? Today being my birthday, it's not a birthday, it's birthday month for me. I'll take the month. But Jen wanted to know what I wanted to eat. Well, one of my favorite meals is spaghetti and meatballs. That's my preference based on my personality with a salad, of course. We'll get that eat somewhere. And then homemade, <laughs> homemade apple pie. Homemade. I, I, you know, sometimes the Marie calendars, they, they, I'm sure they mean well. But there is nothing like homemade apple pie. It just is in a different league all itself. And it's there at the house. And I, I worked hard to stay out of that yesterday. But it is beautiful, so I'm going to get that. You say, what is that? Well, that was my wife wanting to make my day pleasing to me based off of my preferences and personality. Why would we treat God any different than that? So today, the message is something to sing about. And we'll give you just a couple of points and then we'll be done. What made Israel start singing? It's a question. Well, Moses had told them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Israel saw that great work of the Lord and that the Lord did upon their enemies, the Egyptians. He, they saw this parting of the Red Sea, which is a miracle in itself. They saw that God was fighting for them and that he destroyed the Egyptians. Egypt was not ever going to come after them anymore, which is the type of the world. It didn't have a hold on them as far as the Egyptians trying to bring them back into slavery, that was dead. That was not going to happen. 
Egypt being the type of the world, Pharaoh being the type of the devil. And there's one thing we learn from Scripture, that when you're lost, sin has you in its grip. This world will have you in its grip. And it might let you go for just a little while, but it'll take the lovely Lord Jesus Christ living down on the inside to do a great work in your life to break that bond called the perseverance of the saints. And they seen this great work that God had done. All most of these people had known, I think every one of them, was slavery. They were in slavery. They were in Egypt 430 years. More than likely into slavery a little over 300 years. So they seen this great work. They had something to sing about. If not just that alone, what about a God that would do this? But let's get to the meat of the message. Why? Why did they start singing? Why did they start singing? We've seen what made them start singing, but why did they start singing? If you look here in chapter 15, verse 2, there's a phrase. There in the last part of that verse it says, My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. You say, well, what, what's that mean? What do they mean by that? Well, when they seen this great work, the parting of the Red Sea, and God fighting their battles for them, up until now, this was just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. And that God was making good on a promise that he had given to Abraham all those years ago. Up until now, this was just the preacher's God, Moses. Moses chose to suffer the persecution of the cross that enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season there in Egypt. And then God come to him and called him into the ministry there on the backside of the desert and sit him down in Egypt and says, Now, I want you to go get... Your people, Abraham's descendants, I've promised them a land in the land of Canaan. But up until now, this was just the preacher's God. Up until now, this was just a way to get away from slavery. That's why they were going along with the program. That's why Pharaoh said that, why'd you give the people a holiday? Moses come down in there and he preached them the message of God and says, God's going to bring you out of here. We're going to have some trials. We're going to have a little trouble. Pharaoh's going to resist us, but God's going to get the victory in the end. Hang on and watch God work. But up until this point, it was just a way to get out of slavery. Up until this point, this was just the preacher's God, the God that he was preaching. And yeah, he had signs and wonders. And boy, he could do some wonderful things. And God brought those plagues down there and they were seeing this. But up until this point, this was just God keeping a promise that he had made to Abraham. And that's why you see this phrase, this was my father's God. And I will exalt him. Maybe they felt like being respectful. As a child growing up, and I hope that you had the privilege that I had of growing up in a Christian family. 
And because you were in a Christian family, you went to church and you sang the songs of Zion. And you went to Sunday school class because it was your father's and your mother's God. But I pray that there's been a time when you have seen the great work of God yourself. And yes, you might have had a reason to sing or you might have begun to sing because your father and your mother sang. But now... It's a little more personal. Verse 30 in chapter 14 says that the Lord saved Israel. This wasn't God saving Moses. This wasn't God saving Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This wasn't God saving Joshua and Caleb. This was God saving all of Israel here. It had become personal. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm saying they had discovered their identity in Christ. Say, How do you know that? Well, I'm going to show that to you here in a minute. But first I need to give you an illustration. I was raised in a wonderful home. I have a Christian father and a mother who I'm getting ready to spend some time with. And I'm really excited about that, really looking forward to that. The older I get, the more I appreciate my father and my mother. They weren't as dumb as I thought they were when I was in my 20s. They're actually, my old pappy's pretty bright. <laughs> He's pretty smart. <laughs> He's pretty smart. My mom's got a lot of wisdom. Like, wow, what happened? Well, sometimes it's hard for PK's kids. I was a PK kid. And you learn real quick how to go through the motions. Now, I did get saved at six. But there was a lot of things I did in my younger life, even after I left home. I did them because my dad and mom did them. I did them because they expected me to do them. I did them because we did everything together, and I knew that if I skipped, they might say something. And I didn't want to upset mom and dad. But there come a time in my life where it wasn't just my mom and dad's God. I wasn't going to church because mom and dad went to church and they expected me to go. And they had to call me. Matter of fact, mom and dad really never called us. Now, are you sure you're coming today? Uh, you know, mommy, mommy and daddy take you out to a nice restaurant if you just come to church. That, that never happened, my mom and dad. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Now, I hate to confess this, but I need to confess this because maybe some of you are struggling. It wasn't until I was about 36 years old until I had a reason to sing. It wasn't just my father's God. It wasn't just because of my mother's God. It wasn't because I'd gotten saved as a six-year-old boy. But something changed in 36. I began to, it, it, was the, it was the year I discovered that my dad wasn't Superman. He said, oh, I learned that when I was 15. Okay, I'm a slow learner. I got it. Uh, it was the year I discovered that my dad, although he's a great man, and in my mind he could do anything. My father could change an engine in a school bus in the middle of a desert 
with a 3-inch socket drive set, a pair of vice grips, a couple screwdrivers. That's about it. Dude's brilliant. He can fabricate. He's got him a little shop. But I begin to discover that my father had some flaws. He, he had weaknesses. Maybe in his personality. Maybe things I'd never discovered before might have set him off but didn't set me off. And I'm like, why would my dad, who is perfect in my eyes, get mad at that? Why could my dad not get over this? Or why would my mom can't see that? And it really threw me for a loop. That my parents were just mere humans. And that they did have flaws. And I had to make a decision. Why was I serving God? And I come to the conclusion with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that it didn't matter what mom and dad did anymore. They're still in ministry. They're still serving God. Amen. Thank them for their, their faithfulness. But even if they fell out of the race, even when my mom and dad pass off the scene, if God tarries, and I hope we all go out in a rapture, that I was going to serve God because He was my God. Look with me in verse 2. They discovered their identity in Christ, who they were. Just as I discovered my identity in Christ... My identity in Christ wasn't through my father. That's why the Bible's clear that there's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And a lot of times as Christian kids, we do the things that our parents expect us to do. And, and they do their best. But somewhere in there, you're going to have to transition and say, Oh no, I'm doing it because this is my God. This wasn't just their father's God. This is the God of the living. He's still saving today. we just seen it. This was their God now. And they were His people. Look with me in verse 2. You'll see it in the language. This is... The Lord is my strength. That's personal, possessive. And song. The Lord is my song. And He has become my salvation. He is my God. This is not just Abraham's God no more. This is just not the God that my mom and dad uh, believes in. This is now my God. I'm 100% convinced I have discovered my identity in Christ and who I am. And for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord no matter what anybody else does. That's why you've heard me say more than once. You all can quit coming to church if you want to, but I'm going to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If we have a natural disaster and we lose all forms of communication, you can rest assured because I only live three doors down. I'll be here Wednesday night. You'll know where the preacher is. Now, I might be trying to raid the fridge in there. I think there's still some frozen fish trying to get food, but this will be where I'm at. Why? Because, like the Israelites, this is my God now. 
says they feared the Lord. They believed the Lord. And they believed God's servants. The preacher took on a different dimension in their lives. He was God's spokesman to them. They weren't just there auditing his words. They weren't there just saying, well, he's got a pretty convincing argument, but I'm still not fully on board. They're fully on board at this moment in time. Because they understand that the God that Abraham served was not dead that this was a living God, this was the one and only true God, Jehovah, and He has just saved me out of my crisis. And so it gave them something to sing about, and it gave them a reason to sing about. You know, when you have a reason to sing, I'm going to meddle. Now, I know some of y'all can scream and shout because I don't think you fully understand what social media means. When you put things on social media like, well, I bet the neighbors think we're crazy. Well, why would they think that? Because Tennessee Vols won their game and we've been screaming in the living room and shouting and we, we, we just awesome. And then you come into the house of God and it's, don't laugh too loud. Don't get too loud. People think we're charismatic. But you let it all hang out for a worldly team. But you can't sing out loud for God. You'll even go to the store early. And follow my line of thinking. You tell me, you correct me after the service if I'm lying. Now, I don't do this stuff. But I know some of you do. You say, how would you know that? You're in my house. No, you put it on Facebook. <laughs> you go to the grocery store early. You get your snacks and your hot pockets and your pizza rolls. And anything else you want to eat. Then you get over to mama's house or your house. And you all believe in congregation because you don't want to watch the game alone. You want people with you. But then you get there early with bells on. You start the cooking. You get prepared. So when game time rings, you're all sitting in your little spot. You got your snacks. You got your drinks. You've already been to the bathroom. And there you are shouting them on for the game. Sunday morning rolls around. You've not prepped. You come in late. I'm really meddling, ain't I? You might not do this. I'm not pointing nobody out. I'm, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating some things and under-exaggerating others. <laughs> and you won't shout for the Lord. You won't sing for your team you won't sing for your God he says the Lord is my song and it's because <laughs> if I was to go around the room I guarantee you would give me your identity on what teams you like uh-huh if I'd go around you, are you a Tennessee Vols fan oh I, I dare say I should probably be wearing orange this morning they did win that's the only reason you're all letting me get away with this <laughs> 
Because if they'd have lost, you'd have done stone me. <laughs> I hopefully have learned in these last 11 years just how much pressure to apply, but not too much. So you get the point, but I'm not going to go overboard. <laughs> so you like me next year. <laughs> you see what I mean? Your identity is sure when it comes to the team you like. What about your identity in Christ? Have you made that transition? Can you say this morning, this is my God. This is my song to sing. And I'm going to sing it as loud as I can, as good as I can, for my God. Because He is my salvation. Has God done any great works in your life? It's funny how we're like that, and we're all like that. You know, there's things I get excited about. Some of you already know. Because you can discern and psychologically profile as good as I can. He's thinking about spaghetti and meatballs. I already know he ain't going to be too long. And the rest of you know, because I eat at 12. And some of you know, <laughs> that means... I want the ordering, the food prepped, and on the table by 12. <laughs> Not really that sticky. But you know that. I like prepped. But how come when we come to God and the things of God, it's like, I don't want somebody to see me. It's God that's seeing you. That's what I'm trying to teach the youth. I want to change what the devil in the world has done with music and what the worldly music has crept into the church. This is why our young generation cannot sing hymns no more because they think about advertisement, they think about buying things, they think about food when it comes to music. And so they come into the house of God, they sit like bumps on a log, and now we got to have a praise team to keep them entertained so we can sneak up on them with a little bit of Bible. That's not church. Church has a leader, and I'm not against praise teams. <clears throat> they do serve a purpose. So how do you know that? Because they're biblical. We'll get to it. But a praise team is not somebody that gets up and does all the singing and performing. They accompany the song leader to help accompany the congregation as they lift their voices in song. And they're going to sing the song. You know, this song of Moses, it's going to show up in Revelation. This is an important song that God gave Moses. And they're still singing it in Revelation. And it's tagged with the song of the Lamb. I want to say Revelation around chapter 14. I could be wrong. But it's right in there somewhere. It pops up again. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anything to sing about today? Is Jesus your God? Is the body of Christ your team?
Is the Lord Jesus Christ, is he your song? You know, he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Singing is important. But when it comes to the church, and we, we love our specials, but the specials is not to be a performance. Where we sit in our pew and we critique, well, I really didn't like that. You know, I think she's kind of slid that one word a little bit too much. Really, she was about a half a beat or a quarter beat off from the tune. She's kind of behind it instead of a head up. You know, we become critics. Instead of taking that time to praise God because someone is singing a song about Christ. And that's our team. That's my God. That's my salvation. This is my song. Do you have anything to sing about today? I got something to sing about. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my salvation. And Jesus is my song. And Jesus is a cure for this lost and dying world. And I have discovered my identity in Christ. Have you discovered your identity? Have you come to the place that you don't just go to church because mom and dad do. You don't go to church because you're afraid of the phone call or that I might show up to your messy house. And I've been lenient on that. I do that because I'm not going out of my way to embarrass people. But don't skip too much church. Do you have something to sing about? Is it your God? Is this going to be your song? Is this your salvation? Is this your church? Your congregation? Something to think about, ain't it? All right here. Then sang Moses. And that word and means plus one. Then sang Moses and they sang it together. Moses led it. The congregation followed. But it was all done unto God. Humility. We're under. God's over. And we're doing it to clean. Have I not said in the years gone by that music, God uses music to tune our hearts. Yeah. What do you say? Well, this is how this works, and I'm done. I, as your pastor, try to tune up to God through the week. That takes a lot of praying, a lot of studying. i got to tune myself to God's standard pitch. And then I come in and I strike the chord. I will demonstrate this sometime, not now. I have in times past on how you would tune a guitar. You tune the first string to the tuning fork, to the A harmonic, which is 440. That's standard pitch. You talk to any musician in here. That's you, you, you just walk in. If you're going to play with a group of people, say, what's your tuning? They'll say standard. They, they'll know what that means. 440. 
you can give a tuning fork out or you can get a tuner out but you're going to tune your instrument to be able to play in a group context and nobody questions it till we come to the things of god and all of a sudden we got all kinds of alternate tunings like no god's got a standard tune but then that music once we're in tune through the music and we we tune our hearts we actually got a song that saying he he repaired our broken strings we get back into the pitch that god says we're to be at and then the message of god from the man of god can then begin to play a tune on your hearts so that you can go away singing that's my god that's my salvation and that was my song let's all stand this morning